This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Ottawa season comes to a conclusion. DJ Smith, by the way, on the coaching staff for the world, Andre Tournier will be the head coach of Team Canada. DJ Smith there as an assistant. So that's what's happening with the Ottawa Senators head coach. Uh, what about the rest of the squad and the impending sale? And how do you not give this thing to the Remington slash Ryan Reynolds group? Here to help sort out what's happening next with the Ottawa Senators from the Athletic, our good friend Ian Mendez. Ian, how are you today, pal? Hey, Jeff. Doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm really good. First of all, um, it was sort of couched as a wonderful, no, well, not just Craig Anderson moment, but Buffalo Sabres moment yesterday, but not lost on anybody. That was a perfect way for Craig Anderson uh, to wrap up the career, 20-season NHL career, a bulk of it played uh, with the Ottawa Senators where he was loved. It was a perfect opponent last night for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, that might be the only good thing about the Buffalo Sabres not making the postseason is that we got that matchup and we got Craig Anderson uh, in there. Do you have a thought on Craig Anderson in what was most likely his final game in the NHL? Yeah, and I, you know I was lucky enough to be in the building last night and kind of see that, and it, it's great. Some you know sometimes you want to believe in hockey gods or a ho- higher power, and you kind of felt mm. that yesterday, right? That if you could have orchestrated Craig Anderson's departure from this game, uh, wouldn't you have picked? Ottawa is the opponent. Wouldn't you have picked an overtime win for him on home ice? And uh, just the respect you would see the entire training staff for Ottawa went over. All the players went over, uh, gave him a hug. And, you know, I I think of Craig. It's funny because in Ottawa, we're going to go into the offseason thinking about how are they going to stabilize uh, the goaltending position. And I think Craig's greatest, um, I I guess, kind of his legacy in Ottawa is that for about a decade, Jeff, he stabilized that position. And remember, before Craig Anderson came, point, it was a yeah. tumultuous position, right? He had Hashik there briefly, Ray Emery, Gerber. Like, it just, it never, there was, even if you draw the line back far enough, there was always a great debate, Tut Nut and Roth. And Craig came in, and for the better part of nine seasons, ten seasons, he was the guy. There was never any quite, you would roll in to training camp, and you're like, well, Andy's number one. And I think now when you watch that game yesterday, there's, I think, a great appreciation from Ottawa fans of just how uh, good and how consistent and stable Craig was in goal for Ottawa. Yeah, a really good person too. Um, loved by teammates, like the, the the whole deal. Like they'll when he officially announces his, you know, retirement, there'll be more time to talk about Craig Anderson. But just you know, wonderful person, wonderful goaltender, uh, an incredible family as well. Um, but sticking with the theme of goaltending, and you kind of wondered about that and asked that a second ago. Let me formalize it. What are they doing with their goaltending next year, Ian? Well, I don't, listen. I uh, I don't believe Cam Talbot's coming back. I, I don't think there's an appetite no. from. Uh, the team and I, I you know I, I think it's just it's time to move on there from from both parties so it's this is going to be the biggest question and I think they for the most part Jeff they've stabilized their top six they've stabilized their top four I think they could add a little bit of depth up front at, at the forward position third line fourth line but the biggest glaring weakness on this team or for this team is in goal and the and and the I guess the goalie that you have uh, for next season under contract with the most I guess experience is a guy in Anton Forsberg coming off a double uh, knee injury, which is, I, I don't think I can ever recall a goaltender coming back up of, uh, you know, t- two torn MCLs on the same play. Now I, I don't think it's catastrophic and, and career threatening, but it, it is going to be, I think a little bit of a rehab process for him. And so um, you have to figure it out. And, and when you look at the goalie carousel, like the potential free agents, it's not really a, a deep market this summer. Like it's, it's last season. I felt like there was a little bit more room uh, for goalie maneuvering. And I, I always loved what, what the abs did uh, by getting Georgiev. And, and, and I don't know that that type of guy is available. Like a, a really good number two who's just dying to be a number one mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, the free agent market's thin. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of question marks on Tristan Jari for a myriad of reasons now. So I, I really don't know how you're going to solve this outside of, uh, making a trade and trying to get uh, like is Vancouver willing to part with Thatcher Demko? I don't think so. Not but, right now. You know, not right no. now. No, and so not right now. That's, no, is it, you got to try yeah. and do something like that. Yeah, that that is that is because I, I think a lot of us wondered about Thatcher Demko, and I, I think 
I think Ottawa is one of those teams. I also think that um, the Los Angeles Kings, I mean, he's a San Diego guy, makes some sense there. But I think that there was some interest there. But given how he performed and he came back to Vancouver, and I think where Vancouver's at and, and what they want to do, I, I don't know that Thatcher Demko is, is on the market now. Let me throw a wild one at you. Let me let me throw a name out there that that I'm really starting to wonder about. I mean, really, there's there's two, but I'm I'm not sure that one's going to work out somewhere. I, I look at the um, I look at Ottawa's opponent yesterday in the Buffalo Sabers. Now that's it for the career, most likely for Craig Anderson, uh, but they still have a three-headed goalie monster, and they all believe that Devin Levi is the guy. And we saw that him grabbing the lion's share of starts down the stretch. They still have Eric Comrie under contract for one more season. And they still have uh, and own the rights to Ukapeka Lukanen. Um, that's three goaltenders last time I checked. I don't think there's an appetite for that. Do you think that even though it's, you know, same division competing for, you know, one of those, you know, spots in the playoffs, and we all know the, the dynamic there with some general managers, do you think there could be something between Ottawa and Buffalo? for a goaltender. Like, I've wondered about Seattle and Buffalo with uh, Lucan and Botterill drafted him, his guy, the whole deal. But could there be something if Pierre Dorian is, is going into the marketplace for a goaltender? Could he be looking at Buffalo? Would that make some sense for this team? I mean, I guess so. But I, if you're Buffalo, I mean, are you going to trade UPL? I mean, that, that kid looks like he's got upside. Uh, Devin Levi, like I said, is the guy. Uh, so now you're down to, to Comrie and you're like, well, how much of an upgrade is Comrie over, uh, you know, w- whether it's Forsberg or whatever? I don't know that he is, right? Like, I, like yeah. no, it would it would be UPL. It would be UPL. I, I think that. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I, 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 you know, what wouldn't I'll, I'll tell you as we sort of spitball hockey talk on a Friday afternoon. You know, what wouldn't surprise me either is if they put Comrie on waivers. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're Buffalo, I think you know that you've got your guy there, right, and Devin Levi, and that that's going to be yeah. your guy. Um, yeah, I mean, you could wave, but I just, I, I look at this and, and I think like, you know, Jeremy Swayman, like if you ask me who's the best, back, which backup at the best year this year, it'd be Jeremy Swayman, right? Like statistically and, and, and otherwise, mm-hmm. I, no I just don't know if you're Boston are you like, I guess we'd have to go back and look at the history of, uh, I mean, look, Ottawa and Toronto engineered a goaltender trade last year, Matt Murray within the division. Um, I know Ottawa and Tampa years ago with Ben Bishop, like, like we've seen, yeah divisional trades with goalies. So I guess, you know what? I mean, I guess it's not uh, the craziest thing. I would just think though, if it, if it, you're, if you're talking about Comrie, I think they can shop elsewhere, but UPL would be fascinating because it would almost be like, okay, you guys let Philip Gustafson go. And, and obviously if you had a do over, you probably wouldn't do that again, but that's the yeah. type of goalie that maybe could fit into your arc of being competitive. Uh, and when you're ready to compete, he's, he's ready to go. You know what, though, Ian? I really like Matt Sogard. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, man. so do I. I think he's really. I think he's going to be a fantastic goalie. I, I mean, I, I think what what the the main question probably is: He ready yet? How comfortable is your organization? Just you know, handing the car keys over to him, but. Ian, from what I've seen, I, uh, I, I really like this guy. Um, okay, so the, the, well, one of the big, so I had a lot of stories around Ottawa. Um, what have you been able to glean lately about this sale? And the one thing that I've been asking anyone who bothers to have the conversation with me about the Ottawa Senator sale is, how do they not give this to the Remington slash Reynolds group after this incredible charm offensive by Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, I like that term. Maybe I should steal that charm offensive. I like that. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's remarkable, right? Like the, the seamless connection that he seems to have with, with average people is remarkable, right? Whether it's uh, yeah. over at Wrexham or hanging out at a Senators game and just people just gravitate towards him and he doesn't seem to have any airs about him. It just, I'm with you. Like, look, there, there could very well be another group that, that bids more money than, than the Sparks group. I just don't know that the discrepancy would be enough where you could compensate for the, the feeling of we lost something if, if Ryan Reynolds isn't part of this. Like, to me, it's impossible to stuff this genie back in the bottle. Like, like, <laughs> I, like I, I don't know. It, like, I've been thinking about this, Jeff, and I was thinking about it would be like if you're a 12-year-old and you're asking for a, a puppy uh, for Christmas and a puppy for Christmas, and Christmas comes and you open up the, your, your gift and, you know, it, it's a guinea pig. And you're like, your parents are like, well, but, but, but it's a pet, and you wanted a pet, and you're like, oh, but I kind of had my heart set on a puppy. That's how this would feel. Yeah. Like, okay, I got my pet, but, man, I sure felt like I wanted the, the little golden retriever. So I, I don't know how 
they they can do the PR spin that would somehow satiate the fans. Uh, but but it's been really quiet this week. Like Jeff, I've been in contact with yeah. a couple of groups um, uh, this week, and I think there's just and frustration is not the right word, but I think it's dragged on a little bit longer than than some of these people would have anticipated. And um, I I really thought, what are we at the 14th of April, 15th of April? Like I would have thought 14th, but. 14th, yeah. I kind of like, about two weeks ago. I was told, "Hey, don't be surprised if in the middle of April, that's when the second bids are due." And I don't think they've set a due date yet. I, I don't think they've given these groups that okay, here's your final offer. And I should point out what's really important here: this next offer, this is binding. Like you can't just slide a, a piece of paper across the desk at Bill Daly, right. Gary Bettman, and, and the Mount Estate and say, you know, nine fifty. And then when they're like, "Okay, we'll take it," you'll be like, "Ah, oh, actually, we can't do." It. Like this is binding. So. Right. There has to be a lot of thought put into this, and uh, you're contractually obliged to to be good for that. So th- this is going to be fascinating, but I-, I am a little bit surprised that we're in the middle of April and, and we don't have that second phase kind of a little bit further along than, than kind of what we thought. How many people, normally when um, you know new ownership is coming in, that tends to make people, well, to be blunt, nervous. Um, because yeah. when ownership comes in and, you know, they want to bring in their own people along with it as well. And, you know, I think of, um, I think of Pierre Dorian, uh, I think of DJ Smith and, and with Dorian, how, you know, closely linked he was with, uh, with the late Eugene Melnick, um, and with, you know, with new ownership coming in, um, how does he feel about his position? How does anybody really feel, um, about their position? But, but nonetheless, it is still, you know, as, as, uh, uh as far as I would suspect, Pierre Dorian is acting as if not only is he the GM now, but he's going to be the GM when the, the new ownership comes in. Well, they've got, he's got two years left on his deal, uh, Jeff, and, and, and DJ Smith has another year. So this is going to be fascinating. I think just from a timeline perspective, right? Let's, let's play this out a little bit. Let's just say there's a conditional sale of this team in early May. But by the time they go to the board of governors and they, you know, dot all the I's and cross the T's, what if we get to the third week of June? And then they announce, okay, the deal is official. So let's say it's June 23rd, 24th, and the draft is on the 28th. Like, you can't clean out an entire hockey, hockey operations staff. No. Uh, for, no. You can't. So no. now if you let them run the draft, and, and I would think essentially free agency, I uh, kind of feel like it'd be hard to just clean everybody out in July, right, or August. Like, to me, it, mm-hmm. this has to be done before June 1st if you're going to do it. And if not... Um, I, I, boy, I'd be, I'd be hard. I mean, we've seen it before. I'm Patrick Waugh. We've seen late changes at, at the end of the summer when you don't expect it. Like it's happened, but it would be very atypical to get to, to the end of June and not exactly, you know, have your, your management place, uh, team in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got about a minute and a half for this one. Let's, let's see if we can get it in. Um, maybe the answer is Alex to it. I don't know. Who is the most interesting Ottawa Senator player we should pay attention to this offseason? Oh, you got to get this segment sponsored by Dosecki, you know, the, the most interesting guy. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say, I think unequivocally, it's, it's Alex Debrinkit. I, I mean, uh, and I had a good chat with Alex uh, in Buffalo yesterday. And he said, he said to me, Jeff, he said, look, I've enjoyed every minute of the, my time here in Ottawa. Like, I can't stress that enough like he's loved it he loves this team he loves everything about it uh, but he's got to take some time here he, he, you know they've got a young uh, a young baby who's i believe under the uh, under the age of one they, like they have to figure this out like is this home for them but i think alex likes ottawa i think the question is can they get him at a price that makes sense i think if you're Ottawa, if you're pia dorian i think you mm-hmm. go to uh the debrinket camp and you say look Timmy Stutzen and Brady Kachuk are the ceiling here. Uh, I, I think we've seen that. Other, you know, Boston's kind of done that in years past. Other teams have said, "This is our ceiling. You're, this is our, this yep. is our cap. This is where you fit in." If they can fit him in under Timmy and Brady, and that kind of maybe in the Josh Norris range somewhere in there, I think mm-hmm. it makes makes sense. But I don't begrudge the player if he feels like he can get eight and a half, nine on the free agent market. I, I say, oh. go get it, go get it, and uh, we're, we're, we'll see. They, they got a qualifying offer of nine million that they say they're going to give him. And we'll see if he, yep. I, I think he'd be foolish not to accept it. So I think he'll accept it and we'll, we'll see what happens. 
And we'll see what goes from there. Um, always great catching up with you. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Um, listen, great job this season, as always, uh, covering the Ottawa Senators. You have your thumb on it. You're, you're, you're right on the beat, right on the pulse. Thanks, as always. And we'll, we'll check back soon, Ian, my friend. You got it. Have a great weekend, Jeff. There he is, Ian Mendez from The Athletic, senior writer um, at the uh, the Send Sabres game yesterday for the send-off for Craig Anderson, which really was a beautiful thing, and it was pretty entertaining watching Middlescat score that overtime goal and everyone charge, well, pretty much everybody charge uh, to the goaltender and not the goal scorer. Uh, and we'll see, like, to the point about Reynolds, uh, Ryan Reynolds with the Ottawa Senators, if you're the, if you're the NHL, if you're the... Um, and if you're the, uh, you know, uh, the daughters uh, uh, conducting this sale, I know that it might not be the highest bid, but to Ian's, you know, puppy dog, guinea pig example, how do you go back to the marketplace after all this and say that, yeah, we're not giving this thing to the Reynolds group or the, the Remington, Remington group with Ryan Reynolds attached to it? That is going to be a really tough sell to Ottawa Senators fans and really does underscore how, you know, this is a real Picasso in a lot of ways that this Remington group is painted. Uh, we'll see. Second bids are due soon. Um, big money up for grabs. Big money at stake here for as well who grabs the Ottawa Senators, not just who gets the team, but the real estate play as well uh, is enormous in this one. And I think we all do wonder just how how high this bidding can go and what this means for subsequent either expansion teams or what that can mean for other squads, for other owners who might be on the fence about whether they want to sell their teams or not. Does the ultimate decimal point for Ottawa dictate whether some other teams shake loose here and say, you know what? Sports is an equity play. Maybe it's my turn to cash out. Be interesting to see. Uh, Luke Gazda comes up here in a couple of moments from Sportsnet uh, Hockey Analyst. We'll talk about the uh, LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Oilers going hot. Bruce Boudreau as well from the NHL Network. And for everyone listening on radio, we'll replay part of our conversation with Elliot Friedman in the first hour on the big story, the Pittsburgh Penguins cleaning house. Hour two is coming up. Keep it here. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so here's how, and by the way, welcome to the program. Here's how this, uh, this second hour of the program is going to work here today. At the bottom of the hour, Bruce Boudreau is going to be stopping by from uh, NHL Network. Uh, former NHL coach, perhaps future NHL coach. We'll see what happens this offseason. So we'll get to Gabby at the bottom of the hour. Want to replay as well um, for the radio audience listening live um, who may not have been with us in the first hour. Uh, our interview with Elliot Friedman. Elliot kicks off every show off the top. If you weren't with us in the first hour, we'll play a good chunk of it where we discuss the uh, the situation um, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, where today Brian Burke, Ron Hextall, Chris Pryor um, were all dismissed um, from their duties with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the questions of what is next. That is the main story uh, of the day. But Connor McDavid, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, go into the playoffs looking really good. The Oilers with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, etc. are always a big story. And it's always a good day to be joined by Luke Gazdick from the NHL on Sportsnet. Luke, how are you today, bud? Good, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good. So, you know, we always talk about, you know, rivalries that are a little bit undercover, you know, rivalries that are sort of off the beaten path and we don't necessarily think about them like, you know, Edmonton, Calgary. Uh, we don't necessarily think about them like, you know, the Islanders and the Rangers, for example. Um, Edmonton and the Los Angeles Kings will meet in the opening round for the second season in a row. And this goes back, you know, a number of years um, and you listen, you played in some of these games as well. It's not exactly as if there's been any love lost between these organizations. And that's not just lately, that's historical as well. What do you look for in this uh, upcoming series? Yeah, you spoke on it perfectly. Uh, this is kind of a, a new rivalry, fairly new rivalry that's kind of uh, sparked up in front of our eyes. And 
Uh, L.A. plays tough, man. I played for Todd McClellan in Edmonton. Uh, It's a very tough system to play in, and he has his guys buying in, and and that's why they've had success. It's a fairly defensive, tough, heavy system to play in, Uh, but it's a great matchup, I think, for Edmonton, and you could see, uh, I spoke on this on Sportsnet a couple weeks back, they don't like each other, and this is is real. I don't want to say hate. Yeah, I don't want to say real hatred, but I was there for uh, for game for game uh, three and four last year in Edmonton, and uh, it mm. was buzzing. I'll be out there. I'll be out there for game two uh, of this series, so it'll be good to get out there. But with the way Edmonton's playing right now, and uh, and how they finished the year, this is just going to be a great, great series. Really physical, good hockey, and uh, like I said, they just don't. They seem to not like each other, uh, which is great for hockey and great for the league. Should be a great yeah. series, Jeff. Anytime, Gazzy, you, you see um, a player like Connor McDavid taking a good, healthy run, even one from behind on Mikey Anderson, you know there's a little spice in the chili. Like, we all know what happened last year in the situation with Leon Dreisaitl and everything, but the minute I saw Connor take a good, healthy run at, at Mikey Anderson, I said, all right, um, that's not just about this game. That's about the opening round. Agree or disagree? I mean, that, that's Connor sending a message. This kid's been in playoff mode for the last two months, it seems like. Um, if you watch Oilers hockey, you can see as soon as the lights flip up after the national anthems are done, 97 has this look in his eye right now that is taking no prisoners and not taking no for an answer. Uh, it just seems to me like the year that he is not going to take no for an answer in this playoffs. And, and he's been... You know, obviously we know the, the scoring on the score sheet, but even the physicality, you can see he's he's involved and he gets involved in games early, which is great to see. Uh, great to see him putting the team on his back. Even San Jose last night, Louie and Jack touched on it at the end of the game, back checking 200 feet, and he's been in playoff mode for a while now, Jeff. Yeah. You know, the um, you know what, one of the interesting things about Connor McDavid this year is um, I'm not even sure that he has upper teeth. Like, I don't know, have, has he smiled this year? Like, it just seems like if he's, like, every everything is game seven. Like, everything feels like game seven around Connor. Like, in the, the in, he has, like, this um, inability to enjoy anything this season. Like, there have been a couple of months, you know, Matt Berlin comes in at the end of that game, and there's a, there's a smile and a chuckle from Connor McDavid. It's like, oh, look, he has, he has upper teeth after all. But it just seems like, to your point, Luke, that he has been singularly focused on all right this team makes needs to take the next step and i think he recognizes specifically now with with matthias ekholm and we'll get him and to him in a second that they have a legitimate chance of winning the stanley cup and he's going to do whatever it takes to 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 bring this team to that stanley cup promised land like i don't know that i've and i watched him play you know with your old team uh, the Erie Otters, and I watched him play with the Marlboros and all of it. I've never seen him this focused and possessed, Luke. Yeah, you, you said it perfectly. I, I haven't seen this look in his eye in, in maybe ever. And and I, I think he recognizes what, what is in front of him. And it's a Western Conference that, hey, this is wide open, man. I know Vegas won the division, but if, if there was a year that they, that they could have a pretty clearly defined path to the Western Conference final, I, I, I think it's this year. You touched on Ekholm. Has this guy been unreal or what? Like maybe yeah. the best trade deadline acquisition. What I love about him is not only has he played excellent on both sides of the puck, but he's, he, he, you know, he's, he's empowered all the D around him as well. He's taken the load off Nursey. He's taken the little Phil Broberg kind of under his wing. And it's allowed the Oilers to play 11 and seven some nights and, you know, mm. double shifting Connor almost, which what a trick to have in your bag. If you can play Connor and Leon an extra shift here and there with Derek Ryan and, and Warren Fogle on the fourth and, and have seven D back there with Broberg and Ekholm in the lineup, it's just another card the Oilers, I think, can play. But in terms of Connor, Jeff, like this guy's not taken no. I, I, I don't think he's going to smile until, uh, until, he raises <laughs> Lord Stan- until he raises Lord Stanley over his head. Yeah. Uh, he's on a mission. He's got, he's got a goal and Hey, I've watched a lot of hockey this year from the Oilers. I'm sure you have too. And yeah, it, it's it, it's a good team, and and they got a shot. Yeah, they they do. You know, you mentioned winning the division, and uh, by way of points, the Vegas Golden Knights win the division uh, with 111. The Edmonton Oilers with 109. But 
You know, at the end of every season, as far as a predictor goes for playoff success, the one number that I always look at is regulation wins. And if you sort of set the standings by regulation wins, I mean, like the, the Boston Bruins have the field starched, but the number two team in the NHL with regulation wins is the Edmonton Oilers with 45. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have 48. The Los Angeles Kings have 37. Like I take the um, I, I take the the non-playoff hockey stats and throw it away for purposes of trying to look at okay who's going to do well here in the playoffs because last time I checked and I I, I don't think they've changed it Luke but I, I should probably check after the show there's no three on three in the playoffs right like they get rid of that and that that shootout event that they do as well like there's there's none of that in the playoffs there's 60 minutes of five on five and I look at the Oilers in the uh, in the Pacific. And they're the top team, not just in the Pacific, but in the Western Conference when it comes to regulation wins. To me, that spells well for the Edmonton Oilers. That is, like, that's the playoff environment. 60 minutes, maybe 60 minutes plus of five-on-five play where they dominate. To say nothing of the special teams. Like, power play, awesome. Uh, They score tons of, I think they led the league in shorthanded goals. Uh, as well this year. Um, multiple 100-point players. You mentioned Matthias Ekholm, who settles everything down on that blue line. And I'm with you, uh, Luke. I think that was the best trade, de- trade deadline acquisition of any team in the NHL. Everything spells well here. But I do want to ask you about, because you mentioned Todd McClellan and paying, uh, playing for him with the Oilers. Um, when Elliot and I sat down with him, I brought up the idea of skating picks and this is something that the Detroit Red Wings would do to perfection under Babcock you know I mean you've seen it before you know casually skating in front of someone or it's it's almost basketball-esque in nature leading someone into another body to free up another player we saw it with Detroit we see it with Todd McClellan teams it's a Babcock influence going back to Detroit is that what makes it so tough to play against Todd McClellan squads or one of the reasons why it's tough for sure. There's just not a lot of room to work with out there. And I think you touched on it on it greatly. You'll see picks off, off draws and especially through neutral zones, transitions and tracking, you'll see uh-huh. they will be getting in front of the Edmonton four checkers. They'll, they're trying to neutralize their speed, right? So as you see transitions through the neutral, you'll, you're going to see all these, you know, black and white LA jerseys kind of in front of Edmonton players, four checkers, trying to at least slow that first line of four check. Uh, and it's something they do really well. They just stay on top of you. It's layers with Todd, right? It's always, if he gets past the first layer, where is our second help, you know? And, and that's the way Todd likes to play. And that just allows for not a lot of room out there. It, it, it creates a lot of one-on-one battles. And you know, that almost even works better for the Oilers because Leon, Connor, they want these guys one-on-one, right? But there just won't be a lot of room to work with out there. It'll be a, a heavier, very kind of defensive-style game. Uh, but that's what Todd wants. He wants to slow you, slowly grind you down and, and wear, wear you down and try to take away that top speed from, from the Oilers' top guys. But, you know, like you said, regulation wins. They know how to close these games out in 60. And you know what was a great stat that's going to help them play against that was last night the TCN mark scores two and that marked mm-hmm. that every single one of the players in their bottom six scored over 10 goals this year. So you, you can even, you know, revert back to your third, fourth lines and be able to roll four. And that's just another power they have to be able to play all four lines against this heavy, heavy um, type of system that Todd, that Todd uh, coaches. How do you feel about the goaltending? You know what? I just love, I've loved this Stuart Skinner storyline on, on the Edmonton side. Um, there's nothing like having a developed, homegrown, drafted, developed. I just love stories like that. Guys that put in yeah. the time and the work with their organization. This kid was in, uh, he was at the 2006 Stanley Cup Finals. He's saying, uh, you know, uh, Rollison's his favorite goaltender. And it's just such a cool story. And, you know, on the other <laughs> end, with, with L.A., um, we'll see what happens there, but... I just I love the Skinner storyline. Um, unbelievable! Just set the uh, rookie record for wins. And hey, going into the into the playoffs with a hot goaltender, I know he doesn't have the experience, but there's not a lot of goalies in the league that I, I, I'd want starting right now in that other than other than Skinny. Yeah, what's um what what are some of the things that 
because you're so close to it that you think that people have missed on. Um, we talked about a lot about McDavid and Drysaddle. They they suck up a lot of the oxygen. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has sucked up a lot of oxygen this year with his 100-point season. Matthias Ekholm's story has been well told. Um, what are some of the stories that, and some of the players maybe, or just stories around the team that you think may have gone missed that shouldn't go missed? I think of a couple right away, and I think, you know me, I'm a little biased towards third, fourth line guys, and Derek, <laughs> Derek Ryan's a story, right? Derek yeah. Ryan, you look at his hockey DB, if, if, if anyone hasn't, go search Derek Ryan hockey DB and watch his, his story of how he's got here. Uh, he's played excellent for, for, for the guys and been unreal on the PK, and I think some credit has to be given to Ken Holland and picking up Matthias Janmark earlier in the year, even though he mm. spent some time in Bakersfield, he has turned out to be an excellent pickup. Clem Coston basically getting him for nothing, yeah. adding some size that's and a, some grit to that Oilers lineup. Trading for, I mean, Simon Kane last year um, has provided some, some toughness too. So I think the storyline that I like, David Amber said to me in the studio the other day, he said, you know, they got to be, they got to be intimidated at Edmonton. They're big and strong and tough and, and physical. And I said, when's the last time you can remember saying that about the Oilers, right? They always, they were mm. getting pushed around and, and people were sick of people taking runs at Connor. And now you got, you got Atcom back there and big Bukestad and Costin and Kane. So you have some size. And I think that's the story I love is, <clears throat> is these bottom six role players that have really helped them to propel to propel them in, in, into where they are. They're bigger now, and, and I think some credit is due to Ken Holland for, for, for some nice additions that maybe went unnoticed. I'm glad you mentioned Clem Costin because I think that I'm, I'm, that's such a shrewd pickup. Like that was. Well, how can you not like you know, him? Right? He's he's unreal. Well, he, you know, grinds and fights and all of it. And he's a great interview. Game, you know? And he's hilarious. Yeah, get a microphone, wire up that guy. I know that, you know, some players don't like to have the mics on, but like I'd, I'd mic that guy up every game. (laughs) That could be hilarious. I'll take, I'll take Costin mic'd up all the time, man. Yeah. And I know he's well liked by the guys, which is huge. And yeah, adding a guy in in a series like LA where you you need to play tough and hard and heavy and Yep. Hey, if they meet Vegas or if they meet the Jets and the, whoever they're meeting in the next round, it's just going to get tougher. So if you can have guys like that in your arsenal, I mean, you know, you know what, what a great thing for the Oilers to have. Absolutely. This one gets underway on Monday. Game one, Los Angeles Kings at Edmonton. Uh, Gaz, you're the best. Um, thanks, as always, for stopping by. We'll chat soon. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Anytime. Luke Asdick, uh, who's uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet, uh, covers the Edmonton Oilers beat uh, for us on television, covers the entire NHL. Uh, Luke's been Luke's had a great year. I'll, I'll just be blunt. Um, ex-players uh, making the transition to media uh, is oftentimes awkward, uh, but when it really clicks is a thing of beauty, and Luke's done a great job. Uh, making that transition. Uh, love to see it. Love to see it. That game, that series, by the way, gets underway, as I mentioned, Monday. April 17th, Los Angeles Kings at Edmonton Oilers. Two teams. Like, it, Don't sleep on that rivalry. Like These are two teams that have a good, healthy amount of hockey hatred for one another. And it's not just Connor McDavid and Mikey Anderson. It goes deeper. Um, okay, so the headline story of the day. Um, since we're not on television today, I want to do this uh, just for the uh, the radio audience listening. Um, earlier this afternoon, or late in the morning, rather, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins announced that they were firing Brian Burke, Ron Hextall, and Chris Pryor. Hockey Operations Berkey, General Manager Hextall, and Assistant General Manager Chris Pryor. So off the top of the show, Elliot and I spent about 10 or 15 minutes talking about um, the firing, what happened, and what's next, and... The inevitable Kyle Dubas rumors with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes, he's still under contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm with Elliot on this one. I still think at the end of it he gets renewed by the Toronto Maple Leafs, but that's not going to stop people from talking about could there be a fit between the Pittsburgh Penguins and Kyle Dubas because when you look at how Fenway Sports Group conducts business with their other sports properties – and how they look at managers and executives and like to do their business. Kyle Dubas kind of fits the MO perfectly. 
Anyhow, bracket that for a second. Uh, let's rewind and play back this interview, the uh, normal top of the show debut of uh, Elliot Friedman. This is our conversation about the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins situation. Here's Elliot from last hour. This is the humane thing to do. Don't drag people through some, some days, if not weeks, if not months, before they find out their fate. Nonetheless, Burke, Hextall, Pryor, dismissed from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I, I generally agree with you on that point, Jeff. I think that uh, if you've made, it, made your, up your mind, and uh, it was very clear here they made up their mind, then you, you do it quick. And, and what it allows you to do is, you don't have it hanging over the people involved. You don't have it hanging over your organization. And you give people the opportunity to start working on the next phase of their life. And uh, yes. I'm, a, I'm a big supporter of that. I, I, I like that. Now, look, I don't think any of us are surprised. We're not the only people who have been talking about it for days now. Fenway goes quick, and I don't think anyone's shocked it happened today. You could see the way this was turning. Uh, there was definitely a feel if the Penguins didn't win a round of the playoffs this year, uh, there was going to be going to be change. You know, the way the season ended for them, I think I, I think that's the thing. Like, like I, I think it's it's not only that they didn't that they missed the playoffs. It's the shock of how they missed the playoffs. It was in their hands. They had to beat Chicago and Columbus back to back and they didn't win the first game. And then, you know, I don't care about last night. Like, their season was over. It doesn't bother me at all. They didn't win last night. But, I, you know, I think the shock of that, we all knew it was coming. Um, there was a crisis of consumer confidence in the market. And, you know, now we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. But um, I think it's going to be a job a lot of people want. There's only 32 of these. But the other yeah. thing, too, is, you know, Jeff, they announced that they have a transition team there. One of them is Alex Shaw, who's the uh, AGM. Another is Eric Heasley. He runs, he's an AGM, and he also runs their AHL team. Mike Sullivan was mentioned as part of it, too. You know, we talked about yesterday, actually, I had a few texts about it, Jeff, about the fact that they're going to build out their, their analytics department. I think there's a few hires coming in there. I think Shaw is the guy who's running that, and... Uh, at the very least, um, I think what they're trying to say is, look, we have Crosby, we have Malkin, we have Le- Letang. As you point out, Malkin played 82 games. Crosby yeah. was really healthy. They missed the playoffs. So they're going to be asking, how can we build a better supporting cast? And if this year wasn't already nutty enough around Toronto, the Dubas rumors are already crazy. So it just adds another layer of insanity into our crazy NHL cake. <laughs> you can't just gently pull the pen and roll it into a room. There's nothing quiet about what you just said there with the the, the Kyle Dubas rumors. Um, listen, well, it, it was, I, I it was all that... over social in Pittsburgh last night. Like there's, there's, yeah. there's certainly, look, I'll say my prediction right now. Kyle Dubas is going to be in Toronto. That is my prediction. Uh, until I'm proven wrong, I'm going with that. But that doesn't mean but that but, that doesn't mean that it, it isn't going to be out there. That's what we do. We stir up crap. No, I get it. I get, and then and then walk away. You know, uh, walk away Beyonce style as everything <laughs> burns behind us, and we've got the long flowing locks. Um, he, the interesting thing about that is too. I mean, that would fit the type of person that Fenway Sports likes to work with. And again, yeah. one of the things we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks here, we can't lose sight of. This isn't like Mario Lemieux owns his team anymore, and it's you know Malkin's going to retire a Penguin and Crosby's here, and these are all decisions that are made by someone who's in the Hall of Fame and one of the greatest players of all time who just happened to be a Pittsburgh Penguin. This is Fenway Sports, and this is a very corporate place, and they like things like weekly reports, and they like things like evidence, yep. and they like yep. things like you know measure, measuring, measuring their business in very specific ways. I mean, it isn't as if it wouldn't make sense for them to covet someone like Kyle Dubas. Like, I- I'm with you. I think that at the end of it, I know there was a lot of, there has been a lot of discussion about it. I still do think Dubas remains with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But um, if he does shake free, that would fit the hiring pattern of how Fenway Sports conducts business. That that makes sense. 
I, I do. I agree with you on that, Jeff. I, I, I completely, and I think that's why the rumors are out there, right? Like, um, you know, it's, it, I, I think like, look, like, you know, someone said to me this morning that, um, you know, when the, the thing that we talked about yesterday about the, about the analytics department that Pittsburgh wants to put together, it went a little bit viral and it kind of traveled around and then people kind of put two and two together. And, you know, last night, you know, Mark Madden, who's a pretty popular radio guy in Pittsburgh, he's tweeting about it. Like that's how social media starts like a, a like a four alarm blaze, right? Like that's the world we live in. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it's like internet fodder. Like that's, you know, that's the thing. Like, we don't know how long Toronto's going to play, but we know the Pittsburgh search is underway. So the people in Pittsburgh, they're going to be talking about this stuff, and it, it doesn't stay local anymore. It's just it, it's just the way life is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think and it's going to be the way life is until we know what uh, Dubas' future is going to be. But, like I said, if I'm putting money down, I'm putting money down on he's in Toronto. You know, uh, Brad True Living is someone whose contract is expiring. We've talked a lot about uh, the Calgary Flames general manager. We'll see where everything uh, ends up here. But I think one of the questions now, um, you know, we kind of want, to be honest with you, Fridge, we wondered about this when Brian Burke and when Ron Hextall were hired by the the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is after the exit uh, of Jim Rutherford. Um, the direction of the Penguins, because right around that time, there was some belief that, okay, they'd taken this to the what they thought was the end of the road with this group, and maybe it was time to restock the cupboards, and we heard things like draft capital and prospect capital and how important a team like the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins would be for the organization, but then things change and all of a sudden it was, let's reload and, and make it to the playoffs and see if we can do some damage here. Do you think, and again, it's just hypothetical, it's, you know, you and I mm-hmm. talking on a Friday afternoon, do you think there's any chance they revisit what the Penguins' strategy is now? Or is it we've cast our lot once again with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Rust, etc., so we're still in go-for-it mode with this squad? I, I have to say that my... I have to say that my feelings on this is and the fact that they're kind of going down the road that we're talking about here, I I think that they want to see if there's a better way they can build around them. Like if you look at the Penguins this year, you know, they weren't they they weren't fast. Um they they got pushed around a lot. I think like, you know, someone said to me like they they'd they'd seen Birkin's press boxes recently, like just upset at how the team was getting physically dominated. And yeah. I mean, you know, Burke, like that's exactly yeah. the kind of thing that would drive them crazy. So I think what they're going to do is, I think the first thing to ask before you take the drastic Jeff Merrick step is you say, can we build a better team around them? And I think that's my guess is that's going to be the first. Like I just don't think you do what you did last summer and then give up after a year. I think you you say, okay, can we build a better automobile? And I think that's what you know. They, they don't want to. They, they they don't want it to. They, they, I think that's what they want to do. I think they want to see if they can build a better car first. That'll be really hard. <laughs> Like I know they have some cap space to play with here, but mm-hmm. that's a that's that really does sound like a really tall order. I, I know when you're doing things like you know putting together a more sophisticated and and broader analytics department, what you're looking for is you know players that other teams have missed on, looking for efficiencies down the lineup, looking for value contracts and players that are in situations where. They can't, like, you look for, like, the next Vince Dunn. Oh, can't really make it except for a bottom pairing D situation with the St. Louis Blues, and now he's a top pairing D in Seattle, and he's going to get some Norris Trophy love. He's not going to win it, but he's at least going to be on some on some ballots here. I think that's what you start looking for. That's really hard. And yeah. I think when you're when you're looking to do as heavy a lift as what is proposed for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I don't know that it's just a, a one-year process and the Penguins spin right back around with all those guys getting one year older 
and they're marching back to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is a really sensitive, delicate walk here because it's not like Crosby, Malkin, Latang are getting any younger. Latang's thirty five, Crosby's thirty five, and Malkin's thirty six. This is a tricky walk here for whoever goes in. Yes, uh, yes, it is, and you're, you know what, Jeff? I, I think it's about. I think it's a, like, look. You sign Malkin for what, and Latang for what? Five years. Now you only have Crosby for a couple more under contract, and we'll see what he decides to do. Um, but you know, when when you have that, you do have a little bit of time. Like to me, it's about process. It's about how you get it better. And and how you begin to say we make a little bit of improvement. And to be honest, like you know, Jeff, a little bit of improvement for them gets them back into the playoffs. Now, I think Ottawa's going to be better. I think Buffalo's really good. Uh, I think that you know some of the teams that have kind of been doormatty in the Eastern Conference are getting up and starting to rise. That's going to make it even more challenging for Pittsburgh. But but I just think it's about what, what what this says to me about the Penguins is they just want to change the way they do things, and that's going to be uppermost in their conversation. All right, that's our conversation from hour one with Elliot Friedman of Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada on the news of the day: the dismissal of Burke Hextall Pryor with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. The search has begun. Uh, for their replacements. The other big news of the day, Dallas Aikens, uh, his contract will not be renewed as head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, They begin their search as well. Uh, We'll hit a pause, come back with uh, former NHL coach, maybe future NHL coach as well, uh, currently analyst on the NHL Network, uh, no stranger to this broadcast. Certainly, he is uh, the great Bruce Boudreaux, and he joins me in moments. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, this is the Merrick Show. Back in a moment. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. I'm going to finish up the week here with uh, with one of our favorites. He is uh, Bruce Boudreaux, NHL coach, NHL network analyst. Uh, Gabby, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Can I tell you a story about me to start off this conversation? I'd love to hear. I think you, mm-hmm. I, I, I think you, I think you might find this funny. So when I first started in this industry, this would have been around 1995. It was at the Fan 590 in Toronto when it was owned by Telemedia. I worked for the company for about maybe a year, Gabby, maybe a year and a half. And when they fired me, what they did was they put a note up on the fridge. This was all pre-internet, right? No emails, no nothing. I didn't even get a yep. phone call. Mm-hmm. I, got a, I got a phone call from another one of my colleagues saying, hey, have you talked to, uh, at the time, Nelson Millman was a program director. Have you talked to Nelson? And I said, no. He said, well, you just got fired. There's a note on the fridge. So I got fired by getting a note on the fridge and being told by my colleague. I still didn't get a call or anything from Nelson. That's how I was dismissed. Now, I've always been, and I laugh about it now, Nelson and I are great friends. It's no problem. It's it's part of all of our industries. And I've always said that you never judge an organization by how they bring you in. You judge an organization by how they let you go. And on a today like day, we talked about the Penguins earlier and what happened with Dallas and in Anaheim today. I'm curious, what is the nicest way that you've ever been dismissed? I mean, my example was oh. the worst, but I can laugh about it now. What was the nicest way you were ever let go? Well, um, I, there's two. Okay, I mean, uh, okay. Um, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the first one was was in Washington. Um, we had uh, I was going to going to work. It was a Monday morning, and I always left the house around six fifteen in the morning to beat the traffic and that. And Washington gets pretty bad. And George McPhee gave me a call that early in the morning. And he never gives me a call that early in the morning. And uh, he, he said, could you stop by my house on the way to work? And I said, well, George, I guess this isn't good news, is it? And, you know, he's pretty dead. He's pretty deadpan most of the time. And he just said, could you please come by? Now, I only live 15 minutes from George, and I was almost at his house. 
when he called. Right. So I, I went right to his house, knocked on the door, and uh, unfortunately, he didn't have to, he wasn't ready yet. He was still in his, his pajamas. So he said, can you wait here? And George is a complete professional. I went into his office, and he went in, put on his suit and tie, and the whole, the whole thing, and came down. And um, we talked for a few minutes, and he told me I was being let go. And then he gave me a big hug and said he's going to miss me. And um, uh, I just, I, I thought, I didn't know how to react to that because you just got fired, right? But, I mean, um, I thought it was years later. I mean, now thinking about what else has happened in my life, I thought that was pretty great. And um, yeah. the, the, other t- the other time, um, uh, it was in Manchester in the, in the American League. I'd been coaching their team for five years. And, um, you know, unfortunately for us, we had 100 points every year, and we couldn't go anywhere in the playoffs. So, um, uh, in, But this was the middle of June now. So, I mean, uh, thinking that everything was still fine. Kevin Gilmore, who was the assistant GM, came into town. He wanted to meet with me. And so I met with him, and he said, well, you know what? Uh, Dave wants to give you an extension. And I said, great. So he's going to give you an extra year uh, on your contract. And uh, I said, that's great. And he says, but we're going to go in a new direction. We're going to let you go. So (laughs) they basically gave me a year. Dave was such a good guy. He gave me a year severance, which doesn't happen very often in this business. But if you know Dave Taylor, you know what kind of guy he is. I mean, Yes. Fortunately for me, I, I got the Hershey job in about 10 days later, so that was really good. So, But those are the two nice times where you feel, you yeah. know what, Dave Taylor always will have a, a spot in my heart, and so will George yeah. McPhee. Um, I, I can tell you, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, continue. You're on a roll. This is great stuff, Gabby. Keep going. <laughs> with, with, and it was funny because uh, uh, in Anaheim, we had just won – four division titles and, uh, and, uh, you know, and we'd lost in the conference finals. And, um, but I knew if we didn't win the Stanley cup the next year that I was gone. And, uh, so again, we lost in seven games in Nash to Nashville that in, in the seventh game, I think we had shot them 43, 18 or something like that it was stupid. Uh, but anyway, um, it, this was on a Wednesday and, I uh, didn't hear anything on Thursday. And then Bob phoned me and he said, um, can you be in my office at nine o'clock the next morning? And I said, well, I know where this is going. And um, so I did, but I mean, I've been told, like, I mean, the scouts were telling me and, and, the, yeah. the, and uh, like this, so you knew it was going to happen if we didn't win the cup. Right. And right. so, I mean, I went in at nine, I was sitting at the, his office at eight fifty nine. I knocked at nine o'clock right on and he said one sentence for me he said if you had of only one game seven we wouldn't be doing this and Ah. took my hand and left so i'm going are you telling me if i could have won that game and pecca rene stood on his head i wouldn't have been fired which (laughs) i would have probably been fired the next round if we didn't win that but those are three that i remember um with billy garen's was uh uh, it was a little bit different. I was on my third GM in Minnesota, so I, I knew I wasn't going to last there. Uh, but I was yeah. really surprised at the timing because we had just won, I think, nine out of 12, and we were three points back. We were going That was the year of the lockout. We were going to make the playoffs. I mean, um, anyway, I mean, and he came in just after I'd had my meeting with the players, just before I was going on the ice to practice. I had all my stuff on, and he came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to make a change. And I'm going, oh, man. And then the reporter asked him, if you had won the shootout last night, would you have made this change? And he said, probably not. So those are just four. I won't go into the last one because that takes too much time. But, I mean, uh, uh, I knew that was coming, too. I knew that was coming from the middle of the summer. But uh, it was just a matter of when. I didn't know those dates. I, I mean, I just love the um, I love the positive stories. Like, I'm sorry, I, I can't get the the visual of you know George McPhee opening the door in his in his pajamas, saying "Hold on, I'm gonna put on my suit and tie and grab a seat in the office," and then giving you a big bear hug because, like, for whatever reason, it's so interesting. You bring up George McPhee for whatever reason this week and last week, George McPhee's 
name has come up a ton. And I've always made the point that, and Gabby, you know this, you know, you know you've forgotten more than I know. Um, George McPhee, found, McPhee, pound for pound, was one of the toughest players of all time. Um, he was, you know, he was, you know, small in stature, but so tough, so tough. And just the thought of this 100%. George, yeah. George mm-hmm. McPhee in his pajamas, you know, greeting Bruce Boudreaux and then throwing on his suit and giving you the bear hug after, uh, after dismissing you is one that I, that is going to be with me forever now, Gabby. Um, what was it like? Well, you know what, George, George is full of integrity and he's a classy guy. And I mean, the problem was I was too close to his house. He probably thought I was going to be there at seven o'clock. So when I rang the doorbell, I mean, he just peeked <laughs> around. He didn't come out in, in full fledged and said, well, look at, I'm like, just like this. And then, uh, so he just said, be, sit in my office and I'll come right down. But I mean, most people would have just thrown on something quick. He put the suit and tie and, and the, and yeah. the everything together. And he came down and he was so genuine. Um, you know, like I was sort of in shock with it. Um, but the funny thing about that is he phoned me back again around nine thirty that morning. And I mean, I don't know if I just dead panned or what, cause I had sat there and I told my wife, I'm not taking any calls today. I'm just, not yeah. and then George, I see George McPhee's name on my phone. I, I pick up the phone and, uh, uh, and I said, George, what's up? And I said, you, did you make a mistake? You want to hire me back? And he and he just said, "No, no, Bruce, that's not why I'm calling." Um, and uh, he, he and his next questions were, "Do you still want to coach in the NHL?" I said, "Of course, I want to coach." And he says, "Well, do you want to coach tomorrow?" And I went, "Duh, what?" And he said, "Yeah, another GM might be phoning you. He's asked for permission." So I said, "Great." And then the next was, you know, that was history in Anaheim. That was that was a wild time. I, I, you know how all of us in the media here were on Gabby watch around that time because the the whispers had gotten out there and we're all like, okay, where where is it? Was like it was like find Waldo. Like okay, where's Boudreaux right now? We're trying to figure out uh, where mm-hmm. you were, uh, where you, where you were heading. Um, okay, so you mentioned that um, that Anaheim Nashville series and that was like for this era of hockey like that was violence like every single game that was nasty that was a really vicious series and when you yeah. look at what we know what we know right now about what the opening round is going to look like uh, in this year's edition of the playoffs i don't know that anything's going to rise to that level because that was a whole special breed of of animosity between those two teams and every single shift and oh my goodness was it great hockey to watch but is there one series that you look at now and you say you know what, this one's going to be rough. And this one may be rougher than people expect. I know there's still a couple of series hanging in the balance here. We don't know how it's going to go. But from what we know now, Gabby, which one do you look at and you say, oof, this one's going to be snug? Well, I mean, I think off the top of my head right now, I think the Tampa-Toronto one's going to be pretty rugged. But not because Toronto's going to go out and start anything. But I think Tampa's built that way. And they want to be the more physical team. And I think they want to draw Toronto into that game. If they can draw Toronto into that kind of physical game, then I think Tampa has a chance. But, I mean, I think Toronto, you know, I mean, they're they're going to be sitting there. They know the same thing that I'm repeating right now. And they're going to try to stay out of it as much as possible. And if they do that, I think they'll get the more power plays and they'll be the more successful Mm -hmm. team. But I think that's going to be a a little bit of a rugged series. I think. L.A. and Edmonton has the, the signs of being a really physical series because I know that's how L.A. is going to play. And they're going to be taking uh, shots at uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid every chance they get. So it depends on, on the uh, the pushback. And if I'm Edmonton, I'm going, hey, you know what? we got to suck it up if we want to win the Cup because our power play will make these guys pay in games one and two, and then they won't. They won't do that in the rest of the series, but it could be it could be aggressive. Vegas is also a big team, and whoever plays Minnesota, um, I mean, if Minnesota yeah. and Winnipeg ever got at it right away, I think that would be pretty rough. But I yep. think the intensity picks up so much, Jeff, so much. Like it, it's going, it's like going when you watch preseason games and you think, oh, that's pretty good pace. Then all of a sudden, the first game in the in the regular season, you're going. Holy moly, is this ever different? I think that's yeah. the difference going to be between regular season and playoffs. 
it's a huge jump. You know, I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned about the uh, about the Toronto Maple Leafs here, and I want to circle uh, on on one player specifically because I'm with you. I don't think the NA, I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs want to get you know uh, dragged in the uh, in the trenches here, uh, and Tampa's only happy to, to to play hockey there. They're as skilled as they are, and look at now, Braden Point just scored the the quietest 50 goals we've seen in a long time. Um, they're skilled, but they are nasty, and they're happy to they're happy to play in the pit. Um, I can't help but thinking. I, I know that last Tampa Toronto game was was an empty calorie game, and it didn't mean for much in the standings, etc. And Matthews didn't play, and Marner didn't play, etc. But there was a moment in the game where I said, "Okay, there's a message," and that was when Luke Shen went right at Pat Maroon and and handled him and did a did a did a real good job. And listen, you had Luke with uh, with the, with the Vancouver Canucks, and do you have a thought on if it does? turn a little bit and Toronto gets engaged how does Luke Shen fit into the the big equation here for the Toronto Maple Leafs well I guarantee you that Luke Shen will protect every player on that team he knows he knows what to do he's been around a long time he knows when to do it more importantly and it doesn't matter look at he is really good friends with all those Tampa guys but when it comes to being on your own team uh, it's he's going to protect everybody. But the one thing about Luke is he's not going to go out and, and initiate it. He's going to wait. Like, I mean, he'll be physical. He'll hit everything that he can. But, I mean, he's not going to initiate stupid stuff, but he will be there to back up everybody. Because he knew that's what he was in, in Vancouver. He was the guy, our only real guy that could do that. And he's the guy in Toronto as well. And, like, yep. I mean, it, so I know he's going to do it. And I know... He uh, he's as, as perfect a team player as you could want. There's reasons that teams wanted to trade for a 30-plus-year-old guy that's not fleet of foot, that's not offensive um, uh, in there. But, I mean, that a lot of teams wanted him. And, I mean, and, and five years ago, he could barely find a job. And, and now he is just he is a sought-after guy, and I'd take him on my team any day of the week. I was going to say, what was it like to coach? He was great. I mean, the, the, the conversations were, were uh, coach to player were, were great. And I talked to him an awful lot and I'd ask him what he thought. And uh, he would, you know, he'd give me, he was blunt about things and um, to my face. I mean, we could talk as if we, we were in the back room talking and, and, uh, and, you know, how he wanted to, to be played and everything else. But I mean, it, it was right up front. So I knew exactly what Luke, and all the time, I think he knew exactly where I was at all the time. So, I mean, um, I, I, and I had no problem with that. There was no phoniness. He, there's no behind the back talking. I mean, he would stand up for me um, as well as as players every chance he got. So that was great. He would go upstairs and talk to management uh, and say, "Hey, listen, um, what are you doing? Bruce is doing a great job." So, I mean, um, this is this is this is the kind of character he's got. I love it. Uh, I absolutely love it. Let me um, okay. Let me ask you to do something. Uh, wherever you are, as long as you're not driving right now, Gabby. Here's what I want you to do. I no. want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about something for a second. Four games, maybe five games. Dare I say six games, or maybe even seven games of Matthew Kachuk versus the Boston Bruins with Brad Marchand. What does that look like to Bruce Boudreaux? It looks like Brad, um, Matthew Kachuk is going to do everything he can to bother. <laughs> I don't think it, it's going to matter with Marchand. I mean, I think I think he's really calmed down, quite frankly. But, I mean, mm-hmm. Matthew is going to be a, a bugger to play against for the defenseman and the goaltender. And, I mean, if the refs are, call, are calling it loosely, I mean, he's going to have a field day in the crease. And but I mean, uh, Boston is such a good team. They got. Uh, I I think he'll be a factor, but I don't think he'll be a factor enough to beat the Bruins. Let me close off with this one, and and I thank you as always for your time. You're always generous. Um, on a day like this, whether it's Dallas Aikens, Anaheim, uh, the, the the trio in Pittsburgh as well, um, when it comes to coaches, as much as everybody is competitive and everybody, there's only 32 of these head coaching jobs in the NHL, um, as much as coaches are competitive and want spots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, 
Um, and maybe this has changed over the years. I don't know, but you've been there to, to see all of it and, and have been part of all of it. How much of a fraternity is there amongst coaches when a day like this happens? And there'll be more days like this as the playoffs wind on and, and teams exit. What type of fraternity? I got about a minute here with you, Gabby. How much of a fraternity is there amongst coaches? Well, I, I mean, there is uh, one, but everybody that's not in doesn't have a job is looking for a job. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, they're sorry to see the guy go. Could be friends. I mean, but I mean, I had at least six coaches give me a call um, when I got let go this year, and they, you know, they understand. But I mean, it's uh, it's sort of a dog eat dog world out there. We're sad to see you go, but. Can I be the replacement type of attitude, I think, is for a lot of guys. I get it. Um, You're the best, Bruce, as always. Thank you so much. Best of luck uh, with the NHL Network and the playoffs, and we'll we'll check back you regular. Always, Always good hearing from you. Sounds great, Jeff. Talk to you soon. There he is, Bruce Boudreau, um, NHL coach, NHL analyst uh, with the NHL Network. Always appreciate it when uh, when Gabby stops by and thought that'd be a real nice treat at the, at the end of a week. What great stories, like that George McPhee story. Beautiful. Thanks to Gabby for stopping by. Bruce Boudreau, thanks to uh, Luke Gazdick, uh, Sportsnet hockey analyst, for stopping by. Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic, and uh, kicked it off with Elliot Friedman on the news of the day. Pittsburgh Penguins cleaning house. Uh, Anaheim Ducks saying Dallas Aiken's contract will not be renewed. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who played along all week long, whether it was sending me DMs or tweets or uh, or texts on everything from random player of the day to participating in some of the goofy uh, QODs. Some of those were real fun, and I always thank you for all the contributions that make this program better. And speaking of making this program better, uh, Tristan Marcajani, thank you so much. Lance Kennedy, thank you. Jennifer Rolnick as well. All three of these people tried to make this program better today. Unfortunately, I had other plans. Have a great weekend. Merrick Show back Monday across the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll cross our fingers on 360.